Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. So this was a superhero interview, guys. You may not know who this is unless you're a really groovy person into things like art of hosting, liberating structures, building belonging. Um, What are are some of the others? Open forums, a deep democracy. Um, These are all the things that there's a whole group of people that are master facilitators, and they've been doing it for 30 years. And Toke Paludenmuller is one of the founders of Art of Hosting, but he would never hold it that way because Art of Hosting, as he describes it, is a co-creation of people coming together. He's been pioneering in the fields of sustainable entrepreneurship, participatory leadership, educational renewal, and social responsibility since the early 70s. Uh, He served as the chair of Danish Entrepreneurs Association and worked as a longtime international professional conference organizer and process host. He's the co-founder with Monica Nissen of Interchange, a for-profit training and process consulting company based in Denmark. There's so much more I could say, but I want I want you to hear him. What's very fascinating, we had this conversation two or three days or maybe five days after um, the insurrection in the U.S. Capitol. And I needed to be in his presence because somebody that's been cultivating his own consciousness in a very devoted consciousness practice for over 30 years, you can feel it when you talk to them, okay? And he really gives a history of his life and what shaped him, and it may invite you to explore where do I come from and what has shaped me. But I, A, love that I got him to curse. (laughs) I don't think I got him to curse, but he cursed, and it was unexpected. Um, B, I felt so in sync with his storytelling that C, see if you can listen in a different way than just with your mind. See if you can listen with your whole body and your whole heart and really receive from him on on several different levels, not just intellectual. this is a hero, folks, and I'm so grateful that I got to spend this time as a newbie to the art of hosting community. These folks that are involved in art of hosting are some of the most stellar human beings I've ever met in my entire life. And I love Sidewalk Talk volunteers. Art of hosting folks, wow. I just want to say thank you to not just Toke, but all art of hosters. You guys are rad. Okay, I'm really um, feeling honored to get to be in dialogue with you today. Your work has um, started to feel like a spiritual home for me personally, looking for a home that makes room for all the parts of me. 
So thank you for being one of the one of the originators of Art of Hosting. Tell, tell me a little bit about your spiritual roots and, and how this really began for you so many years ago. Now, using the word spiritual has many meanings to many people, and I'm quite careful with giving it any label, mm. uh, whatever, but certainly, you know, to me, looking at the world, born in 1948 after the Second World War, three years after the Germans had to go back to Germany because they lost the war, and being brought up in a family who at one point my parents, when they were just married, lived in Copenhagen, a young couple uh, decided to enter the resistance movement towards and that became strong towards um, 42, 43, uh, uh, during the Second World War. The Germans took Denmark for five years from uh, April uh, 1940 until the, the capu capitulation in uh, 4th of May, 1945. So reason I'm bringing all that in is certainly because what we are experiencing today and in, in your own you know, origin country uh, and in many other countries is the, the bully dictatorship rule that has come into place just as it did for Hitler and the Nazis. And somehow, uh, though I was not born during that war, growing up in this family of, you know, a, a loving and caring uh, parents uh, with my sister, it somehow penetrated the DNA of how we were raised and what was going on in our family, some uh, values and some practices I would call it today, you know, when I was younger, I didn't really see it, but I benefited from it. And one of them was that it's before anything else, we are human beings and we can learn. You know, my mother and father both came out of a tradition of learners, school teachers, even my grandfather on my father's side was a blacksmith, but he was also a gymnastics practitioner. And so was my other grandfather and grandmother who created a school for PE teachers from the English Empire during the, from 1905 till 1940 when the Germans came and the school stopped because they made it the headquarters of the German army here in Singapore where I live now. So through my, my lineages uh, of very simple down to earth, salt of the earth kind of people, um, not in any way would say that they had a spiritual or religious, you know, approach to life. But they were lovers of nature. They were lovers of being in harmony with other people and with nature and learning and practice was in their fabric. 
And so I think I benefited greatly for this. And as I grew older and myself beginning to look at the world and, the, you know, the possibility of an atomic war between America and Russia in my, you know, first years of high school, and then the whole raising up of the young people at that time, what later became the, called the hippie movement, but was basically the rising up of social entrepreneurship and a resistance towards just living for material things, that, that we needed to discover who we were first before we attended to being members of society, that all influenced me really deeply. And there's another thing maybe that would be interesting to your question is that in Denmark, uh, we had a, in our history, like the, <laughs> and I realized of the, of the stories of, of the last week, that the English burned down the American Congress in, in 1813 or 1812 or so. Well, they certainly were into burning down things in the time of the empire, because in 1807, they, they came to Copenhagen. They had beaten Napoleon at Waterloo. And we had a Danish sovereign king at that time. These were the dictators of Denmark. They were kings, and some of them were good people. Some of them were mad, and some of them were psychopaths. And the one we had had, he, he also wanted to become a Napoleon. So he had sided with Napoleon and spent all the Danish funds on the war against the English to, you know, he wanted to become the Napoleon of Scandinavia, this king. So Napoleon loses, Denmark loses, England sends the uh, fleet in 1907 to Copenhagen and says, you have lost, you have to pay us a lot of money, otherwise we will take your fleet. And the king was bankrupt. He had spent all the money on his own way of living and and then the war. And so he said, I won't give you our fleet because, you know, this protects our trade ships um, uh, in the world. And this is how we can reestablish our health. So I think they said, okay. And then they firebombed Copenhagen and burned down a third of Copenhagen, not just the parliament, but a third of the homes of Copenhagen got burned down by the English. Now, coming out of this, uh, the king and his son realized they had to shift their paradigm. Sovereign kingship would not work any longer. And they, you know, had the evidence from France that if you became too arrogant, you know, the, the people would cut the heads off, which they had just done at the revolution in France. So they initiated two, the, 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 the next, the, 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 the crown prince initiated an initiative. So in 13, 1813, Denmark, Denmark goes bankrupt because of the war, we lose our fleet and everything. And then the guy, he had a mentor. He had relationship to somebody in the older generation, a learning relationship. The guy was, happened to be 
His name was Reventlob, and he was one of the most powerful of the other power in, in Denmark at that time, which was the noblemen and their families. And the crown prince and the noblemen, in conversation and dialogue with each other, realized that they had to do something I would call glasnost from Gorbachev's efforts in, in the Soviet, that they had to begin to create a more democratic rule. And so, but they realized that the one thing that needed to happen was that all people needed to have equal education and that education was a strategic uh, tool. And at that time, uh, so they initiated, they said, the king announced, we may be poor now because we have lost all our money. We don't have to be dumb. So I will initiate and make obligatory education for all kids. And so the Danish school system arose out of this in the next 20 years. In all cities, towns and villages, schools arose and, and kids were invited to become students at these schools in order to learn how to be citizens for the next generations. At the same time, uh, a group of other people, uh, Grondvi and Kull, who were actually inspired priests. Uh, so they were more than just Christian priests. They were inspired people, and, but they were Christian priests and, and had their own, you know, church, uh, you know, duties and all that. They created adult education system called the folk high schools. And this became a Another educational revolution over the next 40 years, not these two men, they thought up the idea, we need to educate, we need to create educational processes in which the grown-ups, the people who had not had education, they had been basically serfs and slaves of the king and the nobleman family. We need to, you know, uh, create processes where they can rise up and everybody can become a citizen. And the way they defined this, uh, Tracy, it's fantastic, you know, when you think about 200 years ago. They said, we want to educate people for it. They call it enlightenment. You know, not for papers, not for grades, but that each human being needs to be awake in order to become a citizen. And so the principles of these uh, schools, the purpose of these schools was to, to help whoever would attend men and women uh, together, uh, all grown-ups coming many from, you know, farmer families and poor, poor uh, parts of Denmark. Um, and, um, and they were then five months uh, a day was uh, working in the fields, uh, helping cooking and cleaning with the school, and then two or three hours of educating the spirit, of wake, you know, becoming awake to, to poetry, to history, to dialogue, you know, sitting in circles, uh, 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 and being in dialogue about the the, the at this time, you know, what is democracy? So the big conversations came about uh, 
and particularly the area I live here, we have paintings from that time of great meetings. So, you know, in the weekends, people would gather and talk about what does it mean to be a democratic citizen and all of this. So it's amazing uh, 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 evolution. So in, in 40 years after the bankruptcy, uh, a Danish school systems for kids were created and adult school system that also gave birth to the collective movement, the farmers collective movement. And then the next step for the Ravenlov and the king was they created a land reform. They, they convinced all the other mm. noblemen who were in power and who owned Denmark, basically all the land that they had to give away their power and create a democratic constitution, which then happened in 1849. Uh, and, and then that, so in 40 years, these uh, three social evolutions took place. And the reason I'm bringing all of that history into your question is that all my grandparents and my great grandparents were involved in all of this. Somehow, you know, uh, and my parents, they all went to these folk high schools mm -hmm. themselves after they, and, um, and somehow, and these schools are still existing. And I know from uh, Juanita Brown, uh, my uh, uh, friend and colleague, um, also from San Francisco, now in North Carolina with David um, there, that when she was young and in the uh, civil rights movement in the 60s and 70s, some of the, she didn't come, but some of other people from that movement came to Denmark to study at these schools and some of the principles they brought back and it seeded itself into the DNA of the civil rights movement in America. So this is in my blood, in my, my you know, in my country and in my family. And I could distill, if I should then come to your question, what are the spiritual, you know, mm -hmm things that I base myself on. So one is that everybody is a human being before anything else. And my dad always told me, you know, everybody has something to contribute. Mm. Doesn't matter. You have to find and see that in the other, what their contribution is. And you yourself has something to contribute. Don't try to photocopy. And my mom's teaching was, I don't care what you become, as long as you become a happy human being. So from this, I, you know, came into the world as a, a, a you know, after high school, I finished in 67. And then I had decided to drive to India by car before the hippie movement. I heard about hippie when I came back from India, but I drove with three friends all through, you know, for half a year, traveled the cultures of, you know, all of Europe and all of the Middle East and Turkey and Afghanistan and India and saw that with the eyes of seeing, looking for the essence and what I was already then aware of, I was reading the Tao Te Ching uh, in high school with my friend and the sayings of Buddha and I realized that underneath all the spiritual practices and belief systems and religious perception of, of life and, and the universe and people and society and all of that, there were so, some basic similarities that were seemed to be timeless. 
And a reading in the Tao Te Ching, at first I thought, this is nice in Chinese poetry. And then I suddenly, it began to make sense to me that here is some wisdom that even if it's like this guy or whoever wrote it 2,600 years ago, still speaks to this little guy, me being 16, 20, 25, and I still read it and it, it, it inspires me because it's void of interpretation. Mm-hmm. It is, is so I'm a seeker of wisdom wherever I can get it. Mm-hmm. And then, so I think I've chosen practices that allows me to find that, like, you know, I was speaking, you know, in uh, uh, to someone the other day about, you know, my practices. And I said, those practices that allows me to connect to that peaceful calm that is wordless, that is like the, the rock mm-hmm. of silent strength, of peace, of kindness in us. You know, there's just many names, but it's one thing that can be experienced and that we all have. Those practices that can allow me to become not just intellectually conscious, but in my full consciousness, be in the moment of that why, in the midst of chaos. Those are my practices that I hold dear. And I practiced Aikido, I've chosen a very wonderful uh, meditation practice when I was young and I stay with it, you know, every day I sit for an hour. And, And so, and I walk in nature and I try to just let go of things that are not necessary to keep in my head, just to have that empty. And I found that with these practices, I somehow can most of the time keep myself in that same harmonious sense of well-being that I remember I had when I was a kid. And I realized it's it's still there. It's because it's always there, but if I need to be focused on. So, and I think, you know, in, if we should relate it a bit to out of hosting and my uh, sort of caution with using the word spiritual or the word you know, because there's some people who he says, I'm a spiritual person. But what about a person who doesn't think he's a spiritual I have to tell you, I think it's funny I use the word spiritual with you too, because I kind of loathe the word sometimes. But I like (laughs) that we're kind of playing with it. But yeah, I hear what you're saying. So there's something there that, that the next, what follows out of all of this was then beginning to look Later, you know, because I, I was, you know, maybe I'll stop there and let you ask another question. Because mm. I have a long way to get to this. So. Well, I feel really with you. I mean, what's happening as I'm listening to you is I'm hearing that you have this ground of being. And what keeps coming to mind is this word belonging, because as an American, if you asked me about my history, I would never give you or go as far back into history 
as you just did. And I'm like, gosh, Toka has all of those people inside of him. He knows where he comes from. And then I got this image of you and, you know, I don't know when you said the folk schools, I got an image of a, of a really sweet hut, right? And it's like a huddle around a fire, you know? Whereas for me, from my cultural context, I feel like we're still wandering the earth trying to figure out where we belong. There isn't this narrative of our history. And so I was just feeling that as I was with you. And I remember something that you'd said in um, one of the community calls that I was on recently that really touched me because you brought up the word learning several times in, our, in your dialogue with me thus far. And it really moved me, but you, you, I don't have the exact quote on my notes here, but it was something along the lines of learning is the foundation of equality. It's from our, we all have the capacity to learn. And I hear it in this thread line. And I love the way that you contextualize it too, that learning isn't necessarily how to produce wealth. It's how to be a good citizen. There's something that really touched me about that idea. Imagine, yeah, imagine the consciousness, the understanding of the initiators of the foci schools creating a school which purpose is not your identity in the world. It's who you are. And that I've heard from one of my friends who is also an other hosting practitioner and very highly placed in the Danish school system uh, as a leader um, in one of the biggest municipalities in Copenhagen uh, responsible for supporting the headmasters of all these schools. He's a very, he's, he's a Danish educator, but he also has his family threads back into the, what, I, what I have, what I was just describing. And as we were exploring what we knew about the beginnings and the deeper you know, threads and purpose of these folk high schools, He's, he said, my understanding is that the purpose of these schools was to help the students and whoever was teaching and leading there be awake enough so that they could be making a conscious choice mm -hmm. of how they would participate and contribute as citizens in their communities, in their society, in the society. Mm. And that is a profound shift mm -hmm. from many of, you know, or even unconsciously it may be lying in our educational systems, but that's something that has been warped a little bit. And I think coming to your, you know, pointing to learning, that learning one of the downfalls of the long-term evolution of our societies is the separation, the divorce in some places, real divorce between education and learning. And one of my passions, I realize now in my older years, and why I began to explore with some of my close mates what could be an alternative way of meeting that, that didn't, you know, and we gathered all the practices we appreciated and, you know, created a pattern that we call the art of hosting and harvesting conversations and work that matter. Mm. 
but the essence of it is really how may we bring learning back to education, back to our lives, understanding learning as an equalizer. Mm-hmm. You know, there are only a few things I think that are the same for every human being. Mm-hmm. One is we are all born from a mother. We all have a lifetime and we all must die. Mm-hmm. This is reality. We all are kept alive by breath, like everything else. Without breath, no life. The life force comes to us as that rhythm of breath. And if you look at all spiritual wisdom uh, practices of any quality that are not just entertaining the mind, but is really opening the consciousness of the heart, have all the quality of focusing your breath, surrender into the breath, feed your breath, however it is spoken, sit and be with the breath and you go with your thoughts, bring your attention back to the breath and let the thoughts go because they're just clouds, but the breath can take you to the sky mm-hmm. or however you explain it. And one more thing that is the same for everyone. We are fantastically endowed. This human race can excel in learning. And when we learn together, this is probably what we were talking about in that other call. When we learn together, it's an equalizer. And it's not who who is saying it or whose idea is it. You know, because what is new, you know, (laughs) because we think we discover something, we think it's new. But look, we are standing on thousands of shoulders back in time Mm -hmm. and other people will stand on. If we leave something valuable that is worth standing on, then, you know, we are just a pair of shoulders and then we go to the grave. Mm -hmm. So I, I and I have found this interesting and I thought these Whatever can take us to be based in those realities, if it's the same for everybody, it may be able to take us to the culture of the all cultures, the culture that is not infested mm-hmm. by the interpretations of the human mind. But they are, as my Indian elders in, in Vancouver Island and one of the tribes, the Nutalnu tribe, that they say, find the basic instructions of the universe and practice them diligently 24-7. And I, and I think many of us who are now meeting in the web of practitioners called the art of hosting are people who are, you know, had had similar journeys, but differently, of course, but that we are seeking those practices that can be based in the natural reality mm-hmm. of the living system of which we are, you know, we have snowstorm today. Mm-hmm. I have snow um, in my house too. <laughs> mm, very seldom in Denmark now. But anyway, I think that, and, and that 
because yes, the art of hosting, yes, methodologies, yes, you know, let's work together. But I think if the driving force of this is to be learning how we can live better and more harmoniously and more sustainable together and create well-being for, for everything and everybody on the planet, then we've got something. Then we can be practitioners and friends with purpose. And we don't we are not led by any human being. We are led by the love for learning and a concern and a, a hunger, a concern for the disharmony that human race is creating and, and with a love for the harmony that we also can have with each other. I mean, look, human beings can be the most beautiful beings, mm -hmm. but we can also be the most horrible, dangerous animal, mm -hmm. worse than any, you know, most destructive and cruel mm -hmm. to, to an extent that, you know, at this moment, things are going on in the planet that are so horrifying that. So it's that dilemma, I think, is really heightened at this time in the world. And so being awake is not just for citizens of your own little community, but also can we be awake to the bigger picture? Yeah. I have a, I have a question for you. So as I'm listening to you, first I wanted to, well, I don't wanna go there. There's so many places I could go, but I wanna bring it to the time that we're in. I feel fondly of the art of hosting because I can feel the shoulders upon which art of hosting stands. Like when I'm in a circle, I feel it. I feel generations behind me just when I'm sitting there with that circle. But at the same time that I feel enamored of the consciousness raising and the learning in community that feels deeply embedded in, as you'd said, sort of the principles of the universe that are about the collective well-being of every human. I'm impatient. It feels too damn slow sometimes. Or I wonder, is it enough when I see brutal, brutal stuff happening? And what's my role as citizen to confront brutality in the midst of all this consciousness raising? I don't, as I joke around with people, I don't want to just float away on a cloud and bliss out on a cloud, right? And I have many friends who are black in the United States who I'm afraid for their safety because they're conspicuous. They stand out like a sore thumb right now. Um, so I'm just trying to hold the nuance of that, knowing that I feel this same devotion that you do to this collective learning. And then at the same time, this impatient protectiveness and desire for accountability. I, I will be very happy to share what I understand, see, and practice in, in this particular field. And it certainly is a danger if we just become happy little hobbits in our own little spiritual communities, uh, uh, living the future, but don't give a damn about the rest of people. But you got to have to start somewhere. And I think many of us have been raised, educated, have learned in life to not prioritize being human, to not prioritize the things we've talked about so far. 
And so each of us had to pick up and find our own practices. But what then? Now that we have found them, practice and we're beginning to find each other, what is our work? And this happened to me, uh, you know, uh, after the first years of just really just enjoying so much meeting other people, you think you're alone with this and you realize there are millions of us, little humans who just want to live harmonious lives and, you know, don't have all of this racial, in, you know, definitions in our brain. Uh, I've just never understood because I'm not, I'm raised in a holistic, humane consciousness and I've not left it so to me so now that here comes the warrior then so the, there's a midwife and there's the warrior and, and uh, what would the warrior of the heart do that the warrior and the midwife I think is two energies that can be uniting and become one. I started practicing Jiu-Jitsu, very, very fierce Japanese self-defense practice at the age of nine and practiced for three years because I was mobbed in school, beaten up by this guy who later became my friend. I never used the Jiu-Jitsu on him. I could have killed him, broken his arms and legs, if I wanted to, but the way I was taught this very fierce 15 year old, 1500 years old Japanese warrior practice to defend yourself against people attacking you with weapons. And later I've stepped into Aikido practice, which I have is part of my personal practice. So, um, so I remember Susan Spakovsky, who was the director of the Alia Shambhala Institute in Halifax, saying to me uh, after she had participated in one, you know, they invited me every year with my, some of my colleagues to do out of hosting trainings at, at the Institute. And it became, that's how out of hosting began to spread across America and Canada uh, out of the, the, the yearly uh, uh, Institute. And she said, Toka, there's something you are practicing out of hosting, like uh, it's the martial art of hosting. What's behind that? And he said, if, if you want to experiment further here, we love what you do. You, we invite you back every year. You know, do you want to experiment with even taking that warriorship further? Because we think we need peaceful warriorship in the world to, to you know, stop go against uh, some of those injustices. And that warriorship we all have, could it be enhanced? So we, we did an experiment for five years, we called it circle brush and sword. And I, I, I uh, did this together with my friend, Bob Wing, who is a sword Aikido master from Boulder. And Barbara Bash, who's a calligraphy practitioner, also Shambhala practitioner from New York, uh, upstate New York, and then me uh, with a circle, circle brush and sword. And out of, you know, my keto practice and that, I've created this, what I call the warrior of the heart dojo or the practicing for peace dojo. Now, these are gained 
personal practices that can become collective, but it's to give us strength so we will not say no. If the moment comes where you can be sitting in your local decision-making council, whether you are a politician or you're a citizen, whatever anybody steps into, to not shy away when those exhilarating, scary moments come where you can stand up for life, where you can stand up for, you know, injustice, where you can, you know, be the voice that speaks against, you know, uh, the bullshit. And I, you know, uh, and, and so I think you will meet this in many, many of us within the art of hosting are not afraid to move. And, you know, we have been invited into the corridors of power. Many of I spent many, many years working within the European ministries and teaching out of hosting there. And now it's embedded there completely and accepted where real changes that, that you know, and uh, there are many stories, uh, thousands of practitioners practicing in all kinds of fields. But again, there has to be real for each of us to not, you know, so that that courage to be yourself and the courage to move. You know, Otto Sharma's work, I love, uh, you know, uh, and he's a, 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 we are in cahoots, Otto and I, you know. I, I said to Otto, uh, last time we met, I said, Otto, don't you feel sometimes that you are invited into the corridors of power just to awaken the life force in there? And I said, every single fucking moment. So there are some of us have really that fierceness, but it only needs to, and, and, and what I was wanting to say with Otto is that, you know, in the U theory, which is certainly not his, it's an ancient pattern of transformation that he has picked up and made available for us uh, now. Mm. But in my own perception of when, where, and how change, real transformation happens, I've understood this, and I think uh, Otto has seen the same, and he describes it differently. But to create the conditions for shifts to happen in the heart or for shit to be cut away so the heart opens and the real human being that is not afraid to apologize, that's not afraid to say no thank you to the bullshit. To, the, to that being, when those moments happen, they're instantaneous. But to create the conditions for that to happen in a way that doesn't hurt, that doesn't create wounds, that doesn't create, that heals. That, that you know, we talk about in the in the Aikido practice that there is cuts with us when we practice with real swords and, and wooden swords. And there's a there's a way of cutting where you cut bullshit, you cut unconsciousness, you cut fear. And if you can come from that place in yourself, you're actually cutting yourself first. And then your actions can have that. And I'm sure you must have experienced it. Moments where you have been transformed and another one has been transformed. 
and it was beautiful, but it was also incredibly fierce and might be a sentence or a quiet when the expectation is somebody would say something or when everybody's expecting you to say yes, you feel in your heart, no, this is not, it doesn't need to happen and you will just, so it's a good question, uh, Tracy, thank you. I think that's, but for me, it always spins down to, is it real for me? Is it real for us? If it is real for me and real for us, then we can make it, invite other people to come into the reality of how it would be better, how it would be more, not fake harmonious, but real harmony, you know, the, the, the collaboration of all things in the universe is the kind of harmony that it takes for something new to ever come forth. And, you know, we can lean because we are now coming to the point in our evolution and look what, what's going on these hours in your country, in your United States now. You can choose the bully or you can choose respectful, democratic, not so easy ways, but it, you know, to embrace everyone and not just to, you know, create a fake democracy that serves the few uh, when it's supposed to serve the many. And it is time now, I think, so I have been, and many people have asked me, what do you, what do you target? What do you strategize? I don't, I let go. And I, 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 I hone myself to be able to listen to those invitations that comes through other people, through other situations into me. And I can feel this is mine to do. And if I can feel this is not mine to do, I will trust you will do it, or she will do it, or he will do it. But when I can feel this 100%ness, I will become a blade of love, a, a fierce blade, and move. And it has taken me to the, you know, decision making in government. It has taken me to villages right after, you know, civil war, taking me to the West Bank and working with Israelis and Palestinians. But it has come, it's like almost, <laughs> I can be, be called first. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. This was the feeling that emerged in me when I first sat on the sidewalk. It's not a, it's not performing for people to think you're a good person. It's not to rush in and save people. It's like, I, well, I'll only describe it for myself, Toka, but I feel like I'm in some kind of resonance with you. It was like, it was in my dreams and it wouldn't leave me. And it kept coming alive in my chest. And I would talk to people about it and they're like, no, that's weird. 
And I'm like, I can't let it go. And I didn't quite understand, but I had to just do it and not, and, and I had to let go and not know. So I, but I think this is beautiful what you're saying, because so much of what we're doing has so much agenda or ego. And I'm hearing you say, look, if you're going to step into that warrior spirit, it has to still be grounded in your beingness and your practice. Because in my experience, my warrior can easily be co-opted by my ego and I can be pretty darn self-righteous. That is certainly a danger. But I think we are uncovering. I mean, this moment together, we are dialoguing to uncover more so we can see more. But, you know, in the it's what's going on in so many humans' lives. And I think Corona and, you know, horrible that so many thousands and thousands of people are dying from it. But the invitation from nature for the whole human species to stop and reflect is a gift to me. I could not have imagined a year ago that this could happen. I I hoped for it. I remember reading this beautiful poem of Pablo Neruda, Neruda some, some years ago, where he talks about 12, counting to 12. Have you ever seen this? I'll send it to you afterwards. It's beautiful. It's just a little poem. He talks about that he 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 sees the possibility of the whole human race to just stop and be brothers and sisters and just see that all this mm. stuff we are doing is most of it is not necessary. Mm. And now you know the situation has been we have had that invitation. Now we'll see how we all come out of it eventually. And there might be more of these uh, uh, beautiful moments of where we can't take life for granted and we know it because we forget. But there's something very beautiful and I, I you know, I, I could hear it from now also reading your website that then when this call comes that is real, what is my, imagine if you, each of us just has one thing to do in this lifetime. One, we may be doing more, but if we would just be available for that, which is our gift, our little, whether it is to create a piece of music or it is to instigate another paradigm of governance or to create a, a, a mime that travels across the planet where people with intentionality, sit down and sidewalks and listen to each other and count to 12 together uh, and just realize that it's very, very simple. But in that simplicity lies so much contentedness or, you know, comfort. And when we are comfortable and when we are in that harmony, we are so kind and 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 are so willing to give. And this is where that word hosting came from, that we we can become hospitality. It's not fake, it's not too it's just 
you know, my grandson, he lives next door. I have two grandsons next door. And he just came over and he, you know, they're not in school because of COVID. But they, yeah. his parents are, their parents are both uh, school teachers. So we live as a little family community here on the hill, down to the lake there. And, uh, and he was so respectful. It was dark. He was knocking because I was meditating and Monica was shopping early. Uh, so not many, too many people in the shops. And he needed some, he's, he's on Zoom with his school teacher. He, he's uh, eight years old. School teacher said, now you should make a collage today. And he explained what a collage was. And then Felix didn't know what a collage was. So his mother said, you know, you have to cut pictures and shapes out of you know magazines. And Monica has architectural magazines. Maybe you can go and ask if she has an old one. So he was coming over to uh, to to get some resources from us. But with such respect, it's so real and so it's like so sweet. And I couldn't find another thing. I don't know if we have it. No, that's okay. You know, I'll, I'll come and ask back and I'll ask Monica. And I realized that this, when kids are being seen and we share love with them. Then we share love with ourselves. And then living in love and peace is not a, a old, stupid, hippie idea. This is the, this is how the fucking universe works. And we have, mm -hmm. you know, one day I hope we will, and maybe that's really what's happening now that nature and all the circumstances of falling asleep in our democracies and think everything will happen automatically and we can leave it to, and we don't need to be conscious citizens. Is teaching us that, you know, it takes effort, but if we can put the effort towards respect, love, fairness, wisdom, accepting and making equal opportunity for everyone, we have the resources, but we're spending on war. And then, so I am really, I'm a fierce warrior for peace, I tell you. And, you know, and I, I see all the out of hosting and anything, even Zoom, you know, podcast, everything I see is weapons of peace. And I use, you know, today I use the word weapons because we are having this conversation. But I think that it is time now because scientists, thinkers, visionaries are beginning to inform of us, and I can feed into my own heart that if we don't shape up to become citizens, consciously mm -hmm. contributing human species will be extinct in 50 or 100 years and the rest will go on. And so not to work from fear, but I think these are things that I am trying to just not shy away from seeing. And so that urgency you were mentioning, how can I be in my calm and be inspired by the urgency, but not be overwhelmed by the urgency and move into becoming violent? Yes. Yes. In the name of peace, 
Violent in the name of but peace. on the other hand, coming back to the full circle with my parents, I often thought, what was going on in them when they made the decision to enter the resistance? You were taken, you were sent to the camps, you were tortured, and you were, you know, many of them did not survive. My parents luckily did and were not taken by the Gestapo. But, uh, and so there could be a time, and this is, I think, what we are seeing in America this week and the coming weeks, that now force must be used to suppress the bully and, and, and the brown shirts of the bully. Uh, and and that was the whole history of the Allies, you know, unless the Allies had risen up and be willing to go to war. You know, I don't know what the history of Europe would have been in the rest of the world either. So there's nothing right and wrong. I think each moment takes what it takes. Uh, and uh, what I find that finding my place and listening to my call and then acting on it sincerely. I can do my contribution, but I can't save the whole world. Neither can you, neither can nobody. Mm. If we can live the future, we want a little bit more every day, mm. <laughs> eventually. It will be so. Mm. And I hold that intention for seven generations and more. I feel so connected to you and grateful. And I'm just scratching the surface. And I need to be held too, as I'm holding my own peaceful warriorship. And so I found a place to be held in the art of hosting community. So I'm, I'm really grateful for getting to stand on your shoulders, really. I mentioned to you, because I think, you know, I could talk to you all day, but I'm sure you have other things you want to do. I think, a, I, do. I think it would be a good time to close. And I mentioned to you before we started that we have a bit of a ritual where I step out of the dialogue with you and I invite you into the dialogue with the people that listen on the sidewalks here at Sidewalk Talk and to speak directly to them, whatever feels fiery in your own heart, either words of wisdom or a wish directly to them as the way that we, we complete. Does that sound good? That sounds good. I'll offer what I can. Wish, words of wisdom, I don't know, but this is the time to remember who we are and to not be afraid going on the most important exploration that each of us can do is to discover who we really are. Mm. We are human beings, we are alive, we will die. We have breath, we have a loving heart, we have kindness in us. What we practice, we will become. What you practice, mm. you will become. You have become what I practice, I will become or I have become and then I can keep on becoming. So to me, it's 
been a great gift in my life to discover the practitioner in me. And I invite you to practitioner, to discover the practitioner in you. And then the and then find those practices that will keep you awake at this time. Rumi speaks it very beautifully in one of his poems. He says, friends don't scatter and go back to sleep. Our friendship is made of staying awake. So this is our time. And uh, let's make the best of it. And not the time for fear, judging yourself or the other. You know, find that flow of consciousness, of love, that is your life force in you. And if you don't know how to find it, stick to your breath and it'll take you there. Thank you. Toke, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Have a good rest of your day. You're welcome. This goes live, I'll send it to you and, and thank you again. Enjoy your grandsons today in the snow too. Ah, yes, thank you, I will. And uh, thank you for your for your efforts and and to stick with it. I think this is very very important. I, I uh, feel that you know these things we each can do goes both sides. <laughs> we can offer it, and then it can help others. But also, as we have those things to do, it helps us stay sane. Mm -hmm. Because despair would like to eat us for breakfast <laughs> and and uh, you know and when people despair we are subject to be controlled and there are people a few people in the world who do want to control other people uh, and uh, and uh, as we are seeing displayed mm -hmm. not just in america but in many other countries uh, many other places but I trust that it is actually a few people and most of us just want that dignity and that love and that clarity to be uh, real for us. So take care. All right. Bye-bye. See you, see you down the line. Yeah. Where are you in Germany, by the way? I'm in Heidelberg. Heidelberg, okay. Well, Near the castle. <laughs> ah, yeah. You're south of me here, but it's not that. If you come to Denmark, come visit. I will do. We can go sit on the sidewalk and listen to strangers together. I'll go sit on the on the bench by the sidewalk. Here is the is the lake and the river. It's a good place to to be. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, bye bye. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.